in Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. If you're following along in your pew Bible, it'll be page 1,121. Hear the word of God. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for your faith that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. This is the word of the Lord. Keep your Bible there in Luke chapter 22. We are going to continue on. If you have been with us through the summer months, uh, last last week you had the Lord's Supper, but before that we have been on a study of Christ's call to people and how he interacted and what he called them to be as followers of Christ. First week we looked at Luke chapter 9 where we saw three men, a scribe and two others that were called to have a singular focus, that they were to leave all, even good things, to follow Christ. John chapter 4, we met a Samaritan woman who Jesus called to make him her satisfied longing, that he was the living water. He was the thing that would satisfy her. Mark chapter 10, we saw Jesus call the rich young ruler to make a sacrificial decision to sell all he has, give it to the poor, and follow Christ. Then we saw Zacchaeus, where Jesus called him to have a surrendered relationship. Lastly, we saw a blind man that was called to have a steadfast belief. And here in Luke chapter 22, we want to look today at a follower of Christ as to have a strengthening faith. A strengthening faith. As we talked about in Luke chapter 9, if you were here for the first week, the book of Luke is written in a way that Jesus is, from the very beginning, is heading towards Jerusalem. He's heading up to Jerusalem. And so there's this focus in the entire book of Luke that Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. He must go to Jerusalem. Jesus knew what he had come to do, and he was heading on that path. And so as we get to chapter 22, we are right there. Uh, Jesus is about to die. He is hours away from the crucifixion. And as we see at the beginning of chapter 22, they are celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover. And so uh, Satan has come and entered into Judas in verse number 3. He has accepted this bribe and is looking for this, this time where he could betray Christ. You get to chapter uh, verse 7, Jesus sends Peter and John to go in to find a room that they can celebrate the Passover where he institutes the Lord's Supper which we celebrated last week. And in the midst of this, if you look over the parallel passage in John chapter 13, is where Jesus comes and washes the disciples' feet. And it seems, and more than likely, that this dispute in verse 24 of chapter, Luke chapter 22 happened right in there as Jesus is preparing to wash the disciples' feet. Look what it says in verse 24. And a dispute arose among them, as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. So here in the midst of this, 
Jesus has been teaching these disciples. He's been walking with these disciples. They have been in fellowship with him, hearing his sermons, hearing his teaching about what it means to be a follower of Christ, how we are to love one another and serve one another. And in the midst of this, they're getting to the very hours before Christ is to be crucified, and here comes a debate. More than likely, it had something to do with the foot washing. Hey, listen, I don't wash feet. I was on the Mount of Transfiguration. I got to go up there. You didn't go, go up there. Obviously, you're not as, more, as important as me. You can wash feet. No, 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 no. I'm not washing feet. Hey, who did Jesus choose to come into town and find a room? I'm not washing feet. I'm obviously the greatest disciple. And there becomes this dispute. And so they begin to argue about who is the greatest. And Jesus asks them and says to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, wait a second. I have uh, been preaching about my kingdom that we're going to study in the book of Matthew here this fall. I'm preaching about the kingdom and how the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of the Gentiles. And here you're arguing about who is the greatest. And in my kingdom, if you are a follower of Christ, you will realize very quickly that I am here to serve. It is not about who is the greatest. It is about who is the least. It is not like the Gentiles do. Who's been here the longest? Who has the most tenured? It's like at football practice. I've been a senior. I've I, I battled this for four years. I get to drink the water first. Jesus says, no, 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 that's not how it's supposed to be in my kingdom. Jesus takes out a rag and begins to wash their feet. He says, for who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. If you are going to follow me, you must serve. What was happening here? As we get to this passage in verse 31, we realize that the, the disciples here, just hours away from Jesus' death, are, have this conflict going on. Jesus is going to warn Peter about his need for a faith that is strengthened. And in the midst of this, we find the absolute conflict of faith and pride. John Stott said, pride is your greatest enemy. Humility is your greatest friend. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity wrote, According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of every misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Pride. And so we see here in, in Luke chapter 22, we have this battle going on. As, as C.S. Lewis just said, it is an anti-God. Pride. Hey, listen, I have it all. I am the greatest. I don't need to serve. And when we live in pride, guess what? He's going to warn Peter, Peter, you're going to have a faith problem. Because we cannot rely on ourselves and have faith and reliance and trust in God. And we see here that pride is it's always competitive. It's always comparative. It's always looking around and, hey, listen, I, listen, I, 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 sh- I should be able to teach that class. I mean, really, they're picking him to, choose to teach? Wait, wait, they, they sing a solo? If they can sing a solo, I can sing a solo. 
Really, they, they wore that to church? And listen, it's not just the people in the pew. It's easy to go to a pastor's conference and look around and say, they're pastoring a church that big? Have you heard them preach? I mean, really? He, he's... Listen, it's easy for us to begin to compare and to compete with other people and look around and say, listen, I am greater than they are. And folks, when we get wrapped up in our pride, it is in direct opposition to our faith in Christ. Who are we trusting? Pride rears its head very quickly and very easily in our hearts and in our lives. I give you an example this week, even as I was studying, as we were down at the beach and laying there, the kids were asleep, Catherine was taking a nap, and I'm reading this passage, and I have this idea, and had this idea of what vacation was going to be. I don't know if any of you are like me, but you have this idea, this is vacation, right? You go, and you kick back at the beach house, and you sleep in, and then your wife brings you steak and eggs on this plate in the morning about 1030, and you eat, and you go to the beach and play a little while, and you come back and have burger and fries. Adam's giving me a nod. I love it, brother. Thank you. He's, he's, he's now tuned in. And you have this burger and fries for lunch. Then you take another three-hour nap, and you go to the beach for a little bit and boogie board. Then you go out and get fresh seafood for supper, and the kids are angels, and you get back, and they go to bed, and you watch a little Ninja Warrior because you know you'll never be fit like that, so you might as well watch somebody that is. And then you go to bed after eating ice cream and drinking a Pepsi. Amen. Anybody in a small house with four kids knows that is not going to happen. But that was my idea. So we're going on this vacation, and this is my rest. And I mean, I had it in my head. This is no lie. I mean, I had even listed it. God, you know I need rest this week. We had teen camp. We had youth football camp. We had VBS. We had junior camp. God, you know if anybody in this room deserves a rest, it's me. And then my wife hurts her back, carrying around our hefty kids. And all of a sudden, my one-year-old begins the terrible twos at one. And that sweet angel turns into the devil at times. And she's loud, not like my side of the family, like the other side of the family. And every time she doesn't want get what she wants, she's screaming. And all of a sudden, wait a second, God, I deserved better than this. And in that moment, I put him down for bed after hanging out on the beach, which, if you know me, I like snow and I like cold, and the only thing I like at the beach is being in the water. I can boogie board all day, but you get out on that, I don't understand it. Those of you that like to lay out on that beach, it's stupid, right? (laughs) It's sandy, it's miserable, it's hot, there's no relief, I don't get it, okay? Do it all you want, I don't get it. Here I am with this one-year-old who just for her own fun, decides that she's going to run into the deep, into the water every time, and you take her and carry her 45 yards away, and she turns and runs right back in and gets rolled again. And I'm like, you're, you're, you're stupid. I mean, what in the world? Why would you do that? Right? And so here I am on this hot, sandy beach, getting frustrated with a one-year-old who won't listen to me, going, God, I don't deserve this. And yet I'm studying for this sermon. Listen. When pride rears its ugly head, we begin to say, I am greater than everybody else, anything else. God, I deserve this. And this is exactly what's going on here. 
Hey, I am the greatest. I don't deserve to have to wash your nasty, stinky, smelly feet. God, I deserve better than this. But what's the problem here? The problem is that these, these disciples are having the discussion right in front of the God that created the universe. The one who out of the very dust of the ground formed them. And they're wondering who the greatest is. Not only that, but these disciples are choosing who's the greatest in front of the one that chose them. Now let's just be honest. The disciples were not chosen because they were intellectual scholars. Jesus did not walk around and go, you are the brightest and the smartest and you are the best thing that I could ever choose and because of your great intellect and your great skill, that's who I want. You will impress everybody. Read the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. What did they say about Peter and John? They were unlearned and ignorant men. But they took notice that they had been with Jesus. These were not the brightest, greatest scholars of the day. And folks, often when we get into these discussions and in our minds start looking around, thinking about who would be the greatest, it doesn't take us long to look around and guess what? Jesus still doesn't choose people far off of the way that he chose the disciples. Right? I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Jesus didn't choose us because we're the most talented. And yet, here in front of the one that he chose... The one who chose them, they're having the discussion, wait, 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 I'm just greater. I was chose first. I'm getting to do this. I get to do that in front of their creator. The one who had created them, the one who had chose them, and the one that was holy. Oh, yeah, but you remember that time you messed up, Peter? Yeah, but uh, the other time I didn't mess up. Yeah, but that time you said, no, you drove the kids away. You remember that? And here they are standing before a holy creator having the discussion about who is the greatest. To quote C.S. Lewis one more time, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. Listen to this. C.S. Lewis said, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and on people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you can't see something that's above you. The battle between pride and faith is faith is looking up and trusting God. Pride is looking down on things and on people. And here are the disciples sitting in front of the creator of the universe arguing about who is the greatest. And Jesus is going to teach us something about being a follower of Christ. Number one, I want us to see that a follower of Christ trusts God as a righteous judge. Look at what he says in the midst of this. Now, I, I know I say this a lot, but if I were God right here, and here I am, Jesus, I have been walking with these guys for three and a half years, and I'm about to go to the cross, and I've been teaching them on servanthood and how to love one another, and they're having this silly three-year-old conversation right before I'm supposed to die. I would have gone off. Right? That's it. I am done with you guys. You are ridiculous. If you want to act like two-year-olds, go act like two-year-olds somewhere else. Look what he says. But you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. What does he say? Even in the midst of their sin, we see God's grace. Even in the midst of this argument, this silly argument and pride and arrogance in the front of a holy creator, he says, listen, but you are still the ones who have stayed with me in my trials. Hebrews eleven six. without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
We live in faith when we seek God, realizing that our reward will be somewhere else. Paul says in Colossians 3.2, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And so here, these men are trusting that Christ's kingdom will not be a here and now, but it will be an eternal kingdom. That one day, the Father will assign them to eat and drink at the table in His kingdom and judge the twelve tribes of Israel. But secondly, we see here in verse 31, the passage that David read for us, that a follower of Christ must believe God is sovereign through the hard times. Look what he says. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demands, demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. This immediately brings us to the image of Job chapter 1. What happens in Job chapter 1? The Bible says that Satan comes before God and God says, where have you been? He says, I've been going to and fro from all the earth. And he, God says, what? Have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now I know he, he follows you and he obeys you, but the only reason he does that is because you protect him. Can you imagine what is going on here in the heavenlies? Satan comes before God and he is demanding to have the disciples. The, the word you there, okay? In, in the south it would be y'all, okay? That's, that's the plural version of the you, all right? So he's talking, Satan has demanded that he has a shot at the disciples. All of them, the eleven here. That Satan desires to have you. And so Satan has come and, and God has said, hey, well, have you considered I, I, the disciples? They're still following Christ. Satan already having entered into Judas says, oh, I got one. Give me a shot at the other eleven. I'll get them too. But whatever is happening, Jesus knows that Satan has had to demand, demand for the disciples. He wants a piece of them. Folks, if we are to be a follower of Christ, we must believe that God is sovereign through the hard times. Why? Because we must realize as a follower of Christ, the hard times are going to come. There are going to be struggles. There are going to be trials and testings as we follow after Christ. And there are times that Satan will come and say, I want a piece of them, but realize our comfort is in where? Number one, he has to ask God. God is still in control of this situation. He has to ask God. So many times when we get in times of trouble and we get in times of struggles and trials, what do we say? Well, I wonder where God is now. I wonder where God left to this time. I wonder why God has left me here. But it is in those times that we have to realize that God is still sovereign and God is still in control. And here Satan has desired to have a shot at these disciples. Verse 32. But we have a follower of Christ's faith believes that he has a personal intercessor. Look what it says. But I have prayed for you. That you is singular. Peter, Satan desires to have all of you. But I have prayed for you, singular, that your faith, singular, may not fail. And when you, singular, have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Notice what the Lord prays for. If you would listen to many of the uh, preachers that you hear on TV, these health and wealth gospel type of preachers, they would say, well, Jesus is going to pray for that you would never have this trial. 
that Satan would have no shot at you, and God could have. God could say, well, Satan asked, but I said no. But that's not at all what he says. What does he say? I prayed for you that when you're, that your faith may not fail. Romans 8.34, who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So why did God not just say, Satan, you can't have a shot at it? I think there's a couple reasons here. I think, number one, I think the passage is evident that if we are not living in faith, we are living in pride. When you aren't relying on God, you're relying on some other idol that has become God. Look, isn't it natural in our life, right? If you, you've ever had situations like I have, where you get into a situation and say, whoa, God, 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 I need you now, right? Kid is sick, grandma's sick, bank, the bank, my bank account is out of money, car's broken down, whatever the issue is in my life right then. And what do we do? Oh, it's time to pray, right? We go to prayer meeting, we call our friends, and you post it to Facebook, and you, you, you start having your devotions, and you're praying every day, God, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. But the moment that prayer is answered, what do we do? God, I appreciate it. I got it. Right? It's like my kid in the ocean. Right? Daddy, hold my hand, hold my hand. All right, Daddy, I got it. And you wait for that one big wave. And what happens? Daddy, hold my hand, hold my hand, hold my hand. You hold your hand, it's about three little waves coming. What happens? Don't need dad anymore. See ya. And the big wave comes. What happens? Oh, hold my hand, hold my hand. Isn't that how we do God? Right? Hey, God, I got it all under control. The banker house fine, everybody's healthy. The house is getting paid off. The car is getting paid off. Everything just seems to run smoothly. I lose my job. God, I need you now. Folks, listen. If everything was health and wealth, we would never rely on God. Why? Because our heart is drawn towards pride. Self-sufficiency. God, I have it. You say, where do you find that? Look at it. Verse 35, Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Peter, did you not just hear the God of the universe say, you're about to get attacked? In fact, he just said... When you have turned again, Peter, it is inevitable that you are going to fail. Temporarily, you are going to fail. And Peter says, no, 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 no. <laughs> you must have James. I, got, I mean, just for a moment, you must have thought I was John. I will not fail. So why do we go through these testings? I think because it draws us from a reliance on ourselves to a reliance on God. Pride sneaks into our life so quickly and deceptively. But number two, faith is a lot like love. If it's not growing, it's dying. Right? How many of you, when you got married to your beloved spouse, said, man, I I can't love you anymore today. I'll never love you any more than I do today. Right? Some of you that have been married 40 and 50 years would say what? When we got married, I didn't even know what love was. Right? Why? Because some of those hard times and the struggles and the, and, the, and the tough times in your marriage did what? They grew your love. It brought you closer together. Well, so it is with faith. 
When you are put into situations, you grow your faith. That's why the Christian life is referred to as what? Like a baby desiring the sincere milk of the word that he may grow thereby. Listen, it it may be funny that Katie at one years old will run into the wave and get rolled and be laying there face down. You yank her up, take her back out, put her down. She runs back in. But listen, if all of a sudden she's still doing that at 18, we got a problem. Right? But those trials and the times where Catherine's like, pick her up. I'm like, no, I'm not picking her up. Let her drink a little salt water. She'll figure it out. I'm not a terrible dad, but I do. A couple gulps won't hurt her. Clean out the sinuses. Right? Hey, after three or four times, she runs into the water. Get a good drink of it. Why? Because at some point, you've got to trust that dad knows best. And if you've grown an 18-year-old that doesn't think anybody knows best, guess what? You have an outlaw. So there are times that we are going to go through struggles and we are going through trials so that what? We realize God knows best. He's the sovereign God of the universe. But we are not left without help. We have this intercessor. And so Jesus is praying for Peter that his faith would not fail. Peter, or Jesus knew that Peter would be a have a failure of the nerve, but not of the heart. But even here, God's grace is demonstrated again. Why? Because even in his sin and even in his pride, he has, number one, an intercessor making intercession for him. But also, in verse 34, Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until... You deny me three times that you know me. Now, why a rooster? You ever ask the question, why a rooster? Why didn't you just say by sun up tomorrow? Peter, before you eat breakfast tomorrow, before you eat lunch tomorrow, Peter, by tomorrow, the, the time tomorrow is over, you will have denied me three times. Why, why a rooster? Because I think even in this trial, and even in Peter's failure, God's grace, is evident. Look at verse 60. But Peter said, this is the third time he's going to deny Christ, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter what? Remembered. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Peter, that was just hours before. You would think, right? You would think, Peter, you just made this this. Great statement. Oh, I'll go to prison. I'll go to death with you. And you didn't last hours. And then when you denied Christ, what did he do? He forgot all about it. He had totally decided that he was all right. He denied Christ. But Christ had given him a wake-up call. Peter, when the cock crows, when the rooster crows, you'll have denied me three times. And when that rooster crows, guess what?
his time of failure, God had a moment of grace for him in saying, you know what, this rooster will crow. But that just also warns us here in Peter's whole statement. Number four, a follower of Christ must be careful with his perceived faith. Folks, it is easy for us to look around and say, oh, 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 if that kind kind of persecution ever came to America, don't worry about me, I'd stand for Christ. Oh, if they they ever walked in and and they put a gun to our heads, I'd stand for Christ. But then one person at work getting out of Dodge. Folks, our pride easily deceives us into thinking we're greater Christians than we truly are. Oh, if I went through that, I could handle it. I know they, boy, they're really struggling, but I could do, what does Peter say? Jesus, the God of the universe, says, Peter, when you turn back again, you are going to fall temporarily, but you will come back. He has been told that, and what does he do? Not me, Jesus. Listen, as a follower of Christ, be careful. Be careful. I was reminded of this just recently as a very famous pastor and author was caught, caught in adultery. And you say, he must not walk with God. That would never happen to me, folks, listen to me. Be very careful. Because all you have to do is read through the Bible and say, who is the man after God's own heart? Oh, David. And he was a murderer, adulterer. Hmm. He fell. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. How was he on marriage? Hmm. Yeah, he fell. Abraham. I mean, go through Hebrews 11. A man of faith. Mm. He fell. Folks, listen to me. We are very good in our pride and in our sin and the deceitfulness of our own heart to have a perceived faith like Peter did. That wouldn't last hours of testing. Not days, not weeks, hours. He wouldn't make it through the night. Be very careful. Be very careful of our perceived faith. Look what he says. Fifthly and lastly, a follower of Christ must not be satisfied with victories won. He says, verse 32, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Maybe you're sitting here today and you say, Well, Steve, you know what? I've come through some pretty rough times. And I'm still here, I mean, I'm in church, my faith is still intact, and I've walked through some pretty rough times, and God has pulled us through, and here we are today. You know what, I've got it made. And our first reaction is what? Whew, boy, I hope that everybody else gets together like I do. Right? I mean, God, I appreciate bringing me through, but really, you brought me through because I I really am a spiritual guy, and I have a lot of talent, and I'm really disciplined, and and God, you may not... I understand you brought me through and I've got it made. Now I can sit back and have people serve me. What does Jesus say? When you have turned back to Peter, you are going to fall. 
And you are going to fail temporarily. But Peter, when you turn back again, when you come back and your faith is made strong, then you have a responsibility to serve others by strengthening your brothers. That takes them back to what? Serve. You're either going through the trial, coming out of the trial, or you're serving people that are going through trials. Too often the church is known for people that do what? Oh, we get through the trials and sit back and say, boy, I hope they get through the trials. Well, why don't you serve them? Now that gets messy. Hey, we don't want people in our church that are messy. Remember, you were messy. You still are messy. We're all messy. Why? Because our hearts are all drawn towards pride. Oh, it may look a little different. And the way you feed it may be a little different, but we are all drawn to pride. He says, Peter, when you come through, don't start talking about who's the greatest. Start finding out who you can serve. Why? Because your brothers need you. These other disciples, they're going to need you. And the question that's naturally asked is, did Peter get it? Did Peter really ever get this? Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. If I was studying this, I ran across this passage, and it just, it's awesome. Look what he says, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter, where'd you learn about pride? Oh, we had a discussion, Luke chapter 22. We had a discussion in this room. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, what? Verse 6, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Oh, how'd you learn about that exaltation? Luke chapter 22, verse 30. We were discussing who was the greatest and how great we were. And what we realized is that God has chosen us and that God would one day raise us up. Verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful for your adversary. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. How do you know about that roaring lion, Peter? Oh, Jesus told me about him. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. He wanted me. He wanted all of us. Resist him. Firm in your faith. Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And he says, resist him. Stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. What does he say? Hey, listen, when you are in your your moments of doubt and your faith is struggling and that pride is building you up and you begin to ask, where's God now? Realize this, Peter says, you are not fighting this alone. You are not the first person that has ever battled this. Your brothers around the world have battled this. You have not been left to battle alone. Some of you are going through some big battles. Some of you, I don't know the battles. I think of Aaron and Brooke. If you don't know, Brooke has been is over in Chapel Hill at the hospital uh, through some of the tests. They're trying to keep her over there 
some of the, the, the pregnancy has progressed, and so they're trying to hold off the babies as long as possible. That's, that's a big weight. I get on Facebook, and a, a guy played center, or played center for me in college, his 16-year-old son hit a dock about seven weeks ago. Last night he posted a video of him moving his foot, and what a big victory that is. How do you go from looking at your 16-year-old son playing football to celebrating him moving his toes? That's a big battle, folks. Your faith will be tested. And what Peter says at the end of it is, listen, it is worth it. Listen to what he says. Because the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout all the world. And after you have suffered a little while... Oh, Peter, you've been through a lot. Nah, it's just, it's just a little while. The God of all grace, who has called you to this eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. What is Peter saying? Peter's saying, no matter what you're going through, there are other people going through it, but listen to me. I can testify, it is worth it. That God will bring you out the other side. Don't let your faith fail. You have an intercessor in front of the Father. Stay away from the pride. Humble yourself. Trust Him. Follow Him. He will bring it to pass. Interesting enough, if you read John chapter 21 and then Peter's letters, John chapter 21, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, you're going to die. A crucifixion, and Peter's going to say, even in his letters, listen, Jesus was very clear how I'm going to die. Peter, you've gone through all the trials. You've been mocked. You've been imprisoned. All these things for Christ. Peter, was it worth it? I've just suffered a little while. Folks, to be a follower of Christ, we need a faith that is being strengthened. Because we have an adversary, the devil, who is prowling around looking for whom he can devour. But folks, you have a God that is bigger. Satan cannot touch you without his permission. You have an intercessor before the Father. Therefore, humble yourself. Trust him. Don't let your pride get in the way. Don't get your, let your self-sufficiency get in the way. Trust him.